Welcome to the Cornerstone Truth New Creation Podcast. Each week we'll explore fundamental truths about the genuine love of Christ being manifest through His people, the Church. During these studies, we will discover that the sincere love of Christ flows from a pure heart, a good conscience, and a sincere faith. This is the goal of our instruction, and we are so thankful you're listening today. I want to begin with this statement. What we were is not what we are. What we were is not what we are because of who he is and where he is and we are right now. Let me say that again. What we are is not, excuse me, what we were is not what we are now because who he is and where he and we are right now. Now we need to get our minds set on things above and we need to recognize that we are seated with him already. And if we don't do that, then we're going to be waylaid and we're going to be sidetracked by every frustration and and everything that goes on in this life. We'll be drawn away from who we are. We'll begin to think ourselves as lesser than what he has created us in Christ Jesus to be. So who we are and where we are seated right now will help us to be more than conquerors in this life. And so there are three parts to the lesson this morning. The first part, point number one, I have titled Jesus, the firstborn of the dead. And we're going to go back and we're going to review that from the book of Colossians in chapter 1. Because Jesus being the firstborn from the dead really does has, has everything to do with him being raised up and seated at the right hand of God. The second point this morning, Jesus, the firstborn and me. And you can use that first person for you this morning, and I'm hoping that you will. Jesus, the firstborn and me. What does that mean for you, that Jesus was the firstborn? We're going to see that this morning. And I hope you'll take note this morning and go back and check to see if these things are so. And we're going to go back to the book of Ephesians, but not chapter 1. We're going to go back to the book of Ephesians in chapter 2 and see what being in the firstborn Christ Jesus means. Finally, my third point this morning is Jesus the firstborn and we us, all those who are Christians. What does that mean for the body of Christ? It means power. It means the ability to change the world. And we're going to see how that really works this morning. And so let's begin in point number one this morning. Point number one, Jesus, the firstborn of the dead. I'd ask you to turn with me to the book of Colossians in chapter one this morning. We're going to begin in uh, uh, verse... um, What verse do I have down here? I better look at verse 15. Verse 15 and reading down through verse 23. He, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him, for by Jesus, all things were created, both in the heavens and on the earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him, 
and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he himself will come to have first place in everything, for it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in him, and through him to reconcile the world, excuse me, to reconcile all things to himself, having made peace through the blood of his cross. Through him, I say, whether things on heaven or things, things on earth or things in heaven. Two times he uses the word firstborn. And both times, it's critical for us to understand what he's talking about. Look at verse 15, where it uses the terminology firstborn. Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. And then down in verse 18, it says, he's the firstborn of the dead. What's the difference? The difference is this critical, but both have to do with Jesus being raised up and seated in the heavenly places with the Father. Let's begin first with verse 15, where it says there that Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. You know the word firstborn. We've talked about it before. The word firstborn is the Greek word prototokos, and I've done some more digging on that word, and it's pretty phenomenal what I found. It does uh, it is the, the word that we get our word prototype from, as we've talked about before. And so in the Greek dictionary, it says firstborn means the first of many, the prototype, the first of many. It comes from the root word protos. The word protos is very important. And here's the definition for protos. And I don't think I shared this before. Protos is the root. It means first, literally, Foremost in time, place, order, and importance. Protos. Jesus is the foremost in time, place, order, and importance. Especially when it comes to the resurrection from the dead. Jesus Christ was the first human being ever to be raised from the dead, never to die again. Now, some would say, well, Lazarus was raised from the dead. That's true. But he was raised from the dead, but he still was in the flesh. He's, if he would have died, then he would not have been resurrected if he was not in Christ. But Jesus Christ was the first human being to be raised from the dead, never to die again. And so it's important for us to know that he was the foremost in time. He was the first one in, a, in time. He was the first one in place. He was the first one in the order or sequence, the, the first of many brethren, the firstborn of many brethren we're going to see this morning. And most important, if Jesus Christ, who lived perfectly and bore our sins, was not raised from the dead, none of us would be raised from the dead. So all of those fit perfectly for Jesus being raised from the dead. He was named, by the way, the firstborn in the great gospel plan of salvation before the creation of the physical universe. Now, let me make that statement again. And I'm going to show you through scriptures that that is true. That he was named the firstborn, that he would be the first one to be raised from the dead as a human being before the creation of the world when the plan of salvation was made. Now, keep your fingers here. I want you to go back to the book of Ephesians in chapter 1 with me. 
In the book of Ephesians in chapter 1, we're going to put a couple verses together. And these verses, I pray that you'll go back and listen to some of the other lessons that we've done since uh, Resurrection Sunday. These verses will powerfully come to life as we see what they're saying. Look at Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 3 and 4. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Notice we are with him in the heavenly places. We are in Christ Jesus. Therefore, all the blessings are ours right now. But let's read on. Verse 4. Just as he chose us, just as God chose us in him, in Christ, before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before him. Notice, God chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless. God chose us in Christ before the creation of the world. Here it says, Jesus was the firstborn from creation, is what it says here. It says here, firstborn of all creation. In other words, he would be the first one to enter into heaven, having been raised from the dead. Now, we're going to look at that word creation in just a minute. It's not what we think it is. And that's what caught my attention uh, this week. And so, he would be the first human to be raised from the dead unto eternal life. This was the salvation plan, the mystery that we've talked about. But I want you to turn with me back to 2 Thessalonians in chapter 2. We looked at this already as well. But notice it uses the word called and chosen. How important that is. And we've looked at it before, but I want to look at it again because we were called into Christ Jesus through the gospel. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13 and 14. But we should always give thanks to God, brethren, beloved of the Lord, because God has chosen you, just like what we read in Ephesians. God has chosen you from the beginning, before creation, before the beginning. From the beginning, we were chosen by God. It goes on, chosen for what? Chosen for salvation. How? Through sanctification by the Spirit and faith in the truth. Now listen to verse 14. It was for this he called you. He called you unto salvation through the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit and faith. He called you through the gospel that you may gain or receive the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. How important then, through the gospel, we have access into heaven. And you know that a person is crucified, buried, and raised up with him to walk in newness of life when we're immersed, when we're baptized. And so it's important for us to recognize that. That's what Romans 6 says. Read Romans 6, verses 1 through 11, after we're done with the study today. Also read 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 21, where it says that we're united with Christ in his resurrection when we are immersed. So important for us to recognize that. So we then are seated with him in the heavenly places. Now, I want to take a look going back to the book of Colossians and, and chapter uh, 1 and verse 15. Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn, the first to be raised from the dead of all creation. I looked up that, that word creation. In the King James, it's the word creature. 
And I want you to go back and do your own Bible study on this word, but rather interesting, that word creature or creation means literally formation, the creative, the creative act of building. And it states in the Greek dictionary, the creation specifically of mankind. The creature then is speaking there is the creation of mankind. And so when you see the word creature, you, you need to put in, or creation, you need to put in mankind. Now, if you were to go back to the book of Mark in chapter 16 and verse 15 and 16, here's what Jesus says. He says, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. It's the same exact word. You know how it should have been rendered? Jesus said to go into all the world and preach the gospel to all mankind. That's literally what he was saying. So preach the gospel. I always thought, preach the gospel to all the creatures. We're going to go preach the gospel to squirrels and, and rabbits. and No, of course not. I always kind of felt that that's what he was talking about. And then as I did my study this week, it's like, there's the answer right there. Why didn't I do the Greek study before? Okay. Instead of being frustrated and thinking, you know, Jesus didn't go preach to the little bunny rabbits and he doesn't want us to preach to the little squirrels. He wants us to preach the gospel to all creation. And those who believe the gospel and are baptized shall be saved is what the scripture teaches. And so go back and do your study. By the way, the root word for this means the proprietor, the, the, the proprietorship or ownership by the manufacturer. Notice we are owned because Jesus being the prototype created us, created mankind in his image. He owns us. And it goes on to own or process by right of creation. So Jesus owns us. So when it says the firstborn of all creation, literally he's the first human being that was raised from the dead, never to die again. And he's called us to that same life. And he did that first by creating us in his image so that we could be. And second, by redeeming us through his sacrifice, his death, burial, and resurrection. Now, the next point is powerful. Firstborn, verse 18, firstborn from the dead. Well, that word firstborn means prototype. He was the firstborn from the dead is used again of Jesus's resurrection, the first human being to be raised from the dead unto eternal life. Did you know that when you are raised from the water grave of immersion, because as it says, when you are raised up to walk in newness of life, that you are raised up and in fact, eternal life begins at that moment. That's when you begin living eternal life. Eternal life does not begin sometime after you die and you go up to heaven in the, you know, the pearly gates. The scripture clearly teaches that we're giving, given eternal life when we hear the voice of the son of man and we respond in faithful obedience. So we hear the word of God preached. We hear the gospel through which we were called into his glory, into his son, Jesus Christ. We need to recognize and understand that's when eternal life begins. So if you're a Christian here this morning, you already are living eternal life. How many of you know that the kingdom of God is eternal? And when does a person enter the kingdom of God according to the scriptures? 
when a person becomes a Christian. So we need to recognize and understand these things. So as we see here, the firstborn is actually Jesus, the first one. And so when you were immersed into Christ, if by faith you were immersed into Christ for the right reason, you now are seated with him in the heavenly places. And that's what Ephesians chapter two teaches. Let's turn there. My second point, Jesus, the firstborn in me. Jesus, the firstborn in me. And if you look at your notes there, what does it say? What I was is not what I am. I love that statement. What I was is not what I am. And if you're a Christian this morning, what you were before you were a Christian is not what you are right now. I love this passage of scripture. Turn with me to the book of Ephesians in chapter two, beginning in verse one. It is such a breath of fresh air to read this passage of scripture if you're in Christ. Here it goes. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them we too all formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind and were by nature children of wrath even as the rest. But God being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with him. By grace you have been saved and, and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the ages to come, he might show the surpassing riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Powerful scripture there. It talks about who we were before God saved us. And it talks about who we are now since God has saved us. And he saved us powerfully. So there's really three bullet points there, as you'll see in your notes. Uh, your note sheets, the first bullet point, what I was, what we were before Christ. What were we before Christ? According to this passage of scripture, there are four things that are identified there. The first thing, we were dead in our sins and our trespasses. We were spiritually dead, unresponsive to God. We were doing our own thing. Going to the second thing, we formerly lived according to the course of this world. We lived according to the standard of this culture. And, and you don't have to look very far to realize the standard of this culture is a disaster disastrous. And so that's the, we live to some degree by that standard. And here's the scary thing. It says, we formerly lived according to the course of this world, according to what? The prince of the power of air, of course, of the devil. We were held captive by the devil to do his will. It also says there, we formerly lived in the lust of our flesh, indulging our minds and our bodies with all sorts of, of gross, sinful, selfish things. Now, if that wasn't you, you have to remember that the goodness that God desires is according to his standard, not man's. And so one little sin would keep a person out of heaven. I'm so thankful that God came and bore all of my sins and all of the sins of the world in his body on the cross, amen, so that we have hope. But notice it says that we were by nature children of wrath. By nature, 
the old nature, the old man, the sinful nature, by nature, we were children of wrath, even as the rest. But thanks be to God, the scripture teaches. And so, look at the second bullet point. But God saved us. How did God save us? You know what? Honestly, if you think about it, we probably weren't worth saving. But because he was merciful, because he is merciful, because he was willing to extend mercy to you and I. If you look at that, because of his great love with which he loved us. You know, the love, so great a love, that God gave his only begotten son. Now think about that for just a minute. How many of you would give your sons and put them on death row to be killed for the sins of another person? Of course, I wouldn't do that. And I don't think you would either. But God so loved us that he was willing to do that. That's the great love by which we were saved. And if you take a look, it says, by his grace, by his gift. It's something that you and I can't earn. We can't merit our place in heaven. You can't be good enough to get into heaven. But Jesus was good enough. And he, he bought your way by taking your sins in his body on the cross and then giving you his Holy Spirit. That's how he bought your way. And so we now have been made alive together with Christ. So look at that last bullet point. What and where I am now. What and where I am right now. What am I right now? God says it. I am alive together with Christ. I am alive forevermore with Christ. I am eternally living with Christ. The abundant life filled with joy, filled with true pleasures is mine and yours because we're in Christ Jesus. I have been raised up with Christ. I am raised up. I am seated with him in the heavenly places. Can you say that if you're a Christian and say that and it's honest and truthful? The scripture teaches that. We just read it. I am raised up with Christ. I am seated with him in the heavenly places. And if you're in Christ, you are too. You are living eternal life. You are with him where there is fullness of joy, where there are pleasures forever. Do you believe that? That is truth. That is truth. We are, we are far above all rule and authority and all of the garbage down here. If we have the right faith, we are living a transcendent life above all the garbage down here. We're living here. You know it. You experience it. But the reality is, is that our place is secured in heaven. And we can have absolute abundant joy in that fact, even in times of great trial. That's why James says, consider it all joy when you encounter various trials. Because God is empowering you and strengthening you like a great coach. All right, I'm going to give you another challenge. See if you can make it. Well, of course he knows we can make it. So he gives us that so we can grow. We can have great joy in that. For those of you who've had great coaches, you know that they're always pushing you, pushing you, pushing you to greatness. That's what God is doing, even in the difficulties and challenges that we experience. It's discipline because he loves us. Finally, it says here in this passage of scripture that you and I are to show his glory. 
show, as it says here, the riches of his grace and kindness. And so, where am I? Where are you? Seated with him in heaven. What am I? I'm an ambassador. I'm a witness, and so are you. Showing forth the glorious character of God. Now, that leads me right into my last point. And my last point here is Jesus, the firstborn, and we, the collective body of Christ. Jesus and Jesus, the firstborn, and we. Let's look at it. Romans and chapter 8. And this one speaks a little bit differently about the firstborn. Romans chapter 8. It confirms a very important truth for all of us in Christ Jesus that we must hold on to. And if we don't hold on to that, that we will continually be plagued and beaten. Not more than conquerors, not liberators, but will be a beaten people. And that's not what Jesus Christ came to give to us through his sacrifice. So notice what does it say there uh, in your in your note sheet? What we are is what Jesus is. We are co-heirs with him. Co-heirs means what he has, we have. Where he's at, we're at. We're co-heirs. That's a part of the mystery that we've been talking about. What we are is what Jesus is. Where we are is where Jesus is. Now look at that first bullet point. We are, let's read the scriptures, Romans 8 and verse 29 and 30. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his son, so that he, Jesus, would be the firstborn among many brethren. And these whom he predestined, he also called. And these whom he called, he also justified. And these whom he justified, he also glorified. So this last point is very important. We are and have been known by God before the foundation of the world. If you will embrace the truth of the scriptures, and there is a litany of scriptures, we just read one in the book of Ephesians in chapter 1, verses 3 and 4, that before the foundation of the world, God chose us in his son, Jesus Christ. He had a predetermined plan. I'm going to send my son, and he's going to live a perfect life, and all those who would, through the gospel, faithful and obedient, through the gospel, receive Christ, that they would become sons and daughters of God as well. That's what it says. And so... We are and have been known by him from eternity past, from before the creation of the world. He knew you, Brad, (laughs) and he knew me. And we are and have been called according to his purpose and predetermined plan. Look at Romans 8, 28. It's great. I love this passage of scripture. And we know that God causes all things to work to good, uh, work together for good to those who uh, who love God and those who are called according to his purpose. We were called by God through the gospel to be chosen by Christ. And so we are and have been called according to his purpose and his predetermined plan. And look at the last one that I want you to write down there. We are being conformed to the character image of Christ Jesus. Through 
the spirit of glory within and through our presence in glory with him. You see, we're being transformed into the same image of glory. The word glory means magnificent character. We're being transformed into the same image of his magnificent character because the spirit of glory is in us and we are seated with him in glory. How many of you remember from the book of Exodus when the Apostle Paul, excuse me, the Apostle Paul, when Moses, I got my testaments all messed up, when, when Moses went up onto the mountain and spoke with God, when he came down, his face was aglow because he was in the presence of God's glory. We are in the presence of God's glory. The glow is not a physical glow. The glow is a spiritual glow. It glows something like compassion. It glows something like mercy. It glows something like kindness. It glows something like humility. It glows something like love. It glows something like extending forgiveness and forbearance. It glows something like patience and gentleness. That's what the glory of God glows like now in us, and we're being transformed because the glorious spirit is in us and we are seated with him in glory. Now, if you are not manifesting that glow, brethren, there's only one of two pro- one of two things that could be the problem. What's the problem? Number one, you're not in Christ, and Christ is not in you. Number two, you might be in Christ, but you don't know where you're seated, and you don't know the presence in which you dwell. And I think that's honestly the one that most Christians struggle with, is they don't know they're seated with him. They don't realize what that means. And that's what this whole annual series is about, recognizing the power of his presence and our presence in him. Brethren, let's read this once again because there's a so that in this passage of scripture. Look at verse 29. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son so that, so that, why did he want us to be conformed to the image of his son? So that he, Jesus, would be the firstborn among many brethren. It was God's plan that through faithfulness and growing in his glory that we would be perfected and we become, we'd come to maturity in Christ, the full measure of the stature which belongs to Christ Jesus so that we would enter into heaven. We would be those who would follow him into heaven. Now, brethren, the last thing I want to bring here is this, is that we are seated with him in the heavens. If you're a Christian this morning, I know, well, I'm at your house, Bill. (laughs) Or if you're watching this morning, uh, you're kind of a lunatic, Bill. I'm sitting here in my living room watching you. The reality, the spiritual reality, is that you and I are seated with him in the heavenly places if you're a Christian this morning. And that's where all the fullness of joy dwells. And that's where there are pleasures forever. We are seated with him in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority, far above all the craziness of this physical life. Is your faith transcendent? Are you seeing yourself as God has made you? Do you realize where you are and whose presence you are and who is in you? 
And do you know what that actually means? You see, I was sharing this with my, my youngest son, Jacob, just this morning. As we were having a little Bible study at 7.30. I talked with him about how important it is for us to recognize and understand who we are and where we are. And how important it is that our number one goal in life is to make it to heaven. Well, you got to start by becoming a Christian. You have to start by being crucified with Christ, buried with him and raised up with him to walk in newness of life. But the newness of life will only come when you recognize that you are in his presence and his presence is in you. You need to embrace the truth of God's word. I believe there are so many Christians who are not living beyond the craziness of this life. The craziness of this life is wiping them out because they don't know who they are. They don't know whose presence they're in and they don't know who's present in them. To understand that and to walk according to that conviction. Let me close then with a passage of scripture that many of us know and really love and appreciate. 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians in chapter 4. The last couple verses there, I think, is a good way to conclude our lesson today. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, it's so important for us to fix our eyes on the things that are truly real, the things that are eternal, not those things that are temporary, and falling apart and passing away. Read with me in 2 Corinthians and, and chapter uh, 4, verse 16 through verse 18. Let's read together this morning. Therefore we do not lose heart, but though our outer man is decaying, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. For momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory, far beyond all comparison. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Let's close in a word of prayer and then transition to our Lord's Supper. Our holy God in heaven, we thank you that we are reminded once again that your son Jesus Christ was the first human being to be resurrected from the dead, never to die again, and now he's seated at your right hand, and we are seated there with him in the heavenly places. Oh God in heaven, I pray that our faith would be such that we would recognize these truths, that Psalms chapter 16 and verse 11, we would embrace that and petition God each morning, O oh Lord God, show me the paths of life, for I know that in your presence there is fullness of joy. In your right hand, in your Son, Jesus Christ, there are pleasures forever. Father, I pray that we would know that that is speaking of us, as well as your Son, Jesus Christ, as we are co-heirs with him. Father, I ask this in your Son's name. Amen. You know, the first century church met together on the first day of the week for the express purpose of remembering the sacrifice of Christ. 
we need to recognize that there is no crown of glory for us on the last day unless we are willing to live a life of sacrifice for Christ Jesus. So I would have you turn with me to 1 Corinthians in chapter 10. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. We have a choice this week. We can indulge ourselves in the multitude of idols in this world. The, the lusts of the flesh and, and the desires of the mind. We could do that as Christians. I mean, we're given free will. And so the Apostle Paul here is speaking about the choices that he believes a Christian should make. So look at me, look at with me in, in chapter 10 and verse 14. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, beginning in verse 14. Therefore, my beloved, flee, flee from idolatry. Put any idols, things that would draw your heart and attention away and affections away from God. Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. I speak to his wise men. You judge what I say. Is not the cup of blessing which we bless a sharing, a participation in the blood of Christ? Is not the bread which we break a sharing, a participation in the body of Christ? Since there's one bread or, or one uh, body, we who are many are one body, the body of Christ. For we all partake of the one bread. Look at the nation of Israel. Is not Are not those who, who eat the sacrifices sharers or participants in the altar? What do I mean then? That a, a thing sacrificed to idol to an idol is anything? Or that an idol is anything? No. But I say that the things which the Gentiles sacrifice, they sacrifice to demons and not to God. I do not want you to become sharers in demons. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the table of the Lord and the table of demons. Or do we provoke the Lord to jealousy? We are not stronger than he, are we? You see, God is asking us to make a choice each first day of the week. How are you going to invest your time, energy, money, and resources this week? Are you going to invest it in idols? And you're saying, well, you know, the scripture teaches, Mr. Comp, there are no idols. Well, you know what you give your heart to? It may not be God. It might be something else. It might be a treasured item in your house. It might be a car. It might be, might be a job. It might be money itself. It might be, who knows what it could be. But to give your heart, your affection, your time, energy, and resources to that more than God, it becomes an idol. So, so the question is, is what are you going to devote yourself to this week? God wants you to remember what Jesus Christ devoted himself for you. A full sacrifice of body and blood. And so he says here, flee idolatry. And then he asks the question, very important question, in regards to the sacrifice. Verse 15, I speak to wise men, you judge what I say. Is not the cup of blessing which we bless a sharing in the blood of Christ? Well, it can be if your mind is set on sharing and having fellowship with the sacrifice of Christ today and this week. And then again, he says, he says, is, is not the bread which we break a sharing in the body of Christ? It can be. If you choose this morning to think about that perfect and holy life that Jesus lived for you selflessly, that you would live selflessly for other people this week. That's really what the Lord's Supper is about remembering the great sacrifice and being called to make that same sacrifice as the body of Christ 
as his hands and his feet and his mouth and his heart for other people so that others might become Christians. So as we partake this morning, we need to remember these things and so be so deeply thankful for the salvation that we've been granted. And so as I pray, my son Jacob is going to come and he's going to serve uh, the Lord's Supper. Please bow with me. Our God, our holy God in heaven, how thankful I am for the rich blessing of the salvation that you've given through the perfect life of your son Jesus Christ and then the perfect sacrifice where he bore all the sins of the world in his body on the cross so that we might be separated from our sin and that we might be given the Holy Spirit so that we could live righteously for you. How thankful we are for that sacrifice. Help us, Father, to lay our lives down just like Jesus Christ did this week. Help us to lay our lives down so other people might become Christians. Father, we ask this in your son's name, Jesus. Amen. Well, I want to thank everybody for joining us today, and I'm thankful for the brethren who were, were able to make it today uh, to assemble here in my home, and uh, really, really thankful for that. Uh, one again, uh, really encourage you to remember those who, who are shut in and aren't really able to get out, and others who might not have been able to work, uh, they might not have the resources that you have, so if you'd consider them as well. And finally, if you are interested, I'd like to invite you to join me on Wednesday evenings at 7 o'clock. This last week, my lesson on uh, church government was preempted a couple times, I think by weather, um, maybe by the devil, but uh, preempted, I think, by the weather. And so uh, uh, Brad McKinney, a, a gentleman, uh, a brother in Christ, is going to have me uh, videotape that, and we're going to put it on the uh, uh, website, so you'll be able to see what it really looks like, uh, the full deal without all the interruptions. So thank you very much. Hopefully we'll see you at seven o'clock on Wednesday evening and here next week. Have a great week, brethren. Bye now. Thanks once again for listening. To download today's lesson plan or find out more about Cornerstone Truth Podcast and our church, please go to www.cornerstonetruth.org or email us at thecornerstonetruth at gmail.com. Have a blessed week.